up with such hype. And, and now I'm just here to tear it down because that's what I do. I, I tear down things that have to do with Josh inadvertently. This is a go with the flow night, guys. I'm glad you're all here. You know, Kale's not here. Andy's not here. Nobody who does anything is here. So we're just kind of figuring this out as we go. Um, but man, if you're a guest, keep that in mind. Um, but man <laughs> if you're a guest um, and you haven't already, man, we'd love to get your information. If you fill out a guest information card and turn it into the concession stand, we'll give you a free thing. What could be better? It'll be awesome. Um, so man, do that. Um, that's really the only announcement. Um, okay, so there's a rumor of an announcement. There may or may not be like a game night going on next Friday, the 20th. Um, so keep your calendars clear if that's something that interests you. But all three people who would know the answer to the question, is there a game night next Friday, are not here. So ask them next week to know for sure. I just wanted to bring it up in case, you know, you were deciding whether or not to make plans next Friday night, but who thinks that far in advance, right? You do not. You do not, Manny. All right, so welcome to Ignite. Like I said, we're, we're all glad you're here, even though some of us aren't here to be glad you're here. But we're going to have fun tonight anyways, um, because tonight what I wanted to talk about was what I'm calling the quote-unquote game of Christianity. Um, obviously, yeah, there great background, huh? Um, you know, game is in quotes because I'm calling Christianity a game tongue-in-cheek because being a Christian is obviously not a game, but, you know, people all over the world treat it like it's a game every single day. And if you turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 3, if you have them, if not, the verses should be on the screen. Um, but if you go to Revelation 3 and we start in verse 14, we'll read about some of these people uh, who, who treat their faith like it's a game. Uh, Revelation 3.14 says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So Jesus is talking to these people. He says in verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel, of, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. And he that, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So that's a chunk of verses. But if we're getting context real quick, Revelation 2 and 3, they're both a series of seven letters, basically, that are written to seven churches. Um, and all these churches existed in an area of the world called Asia Minor, over by where Israel is and where Jesus was and where the Apostle Paul started churches. And this was way back in the first century, so we're talking like the year 1 A.D. to 100 A.D., somewhere in there. But the churches are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, 
and this one is Laodicea. And each of these churches, we don't obviously don't have time to go through all seven tonight, but each one had unique characteristics that Jesus referred to. And all of them except for Philadelphia had something bad attached to it. They had negative traits that Jesus brought up. And all of them except for Laodicea, this one we're looking at, had good things attached to it. Uh, so Jesus didn't have anything good to say about this church of the Laodiceans and how they were living their lives. So, yes, the church of the Laodiceans was a real church uh, that would have really gotten this letter and, and gotten this message. But on a deeper level, Revelation 2 and 3 tell the entire history of the Christian church up to the rapture of the church, which happens in Revelation chapter 4. And so while each of these seven churches were real and all their characteristics were were very real of them, each one of those churches is going to represent for us a period of time in that history. And so, is anybody confused yet? Good, because we don't have time to dig into all that. But I wanted to bring it up because we find this letter to the Laodiceans particularly applicable to us and relevant to us because it pictures that final period of church history right before the rapture of the church. Because the next thing that happens in Revelation 4 is the church gets raptured up. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So we're going to examine the characteristics of this church in this passage, and it'll be obvious. You'll see the connection between the things Jesus is saying about it and, you know, modern Christianity today. Because um, remember, Jesus has nothing good to say about them. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it, because we need to try our best to not be like these people. Uh, because if I were to sum up their behavior, I'd say that their problem is they don't take their relationship with God seriously. They treat it like it's a game. Um, so anybody ever play a game with your family? Am I the only one? No. Okay, yeah. So anybody, has, anybody in here have a sibling who likes to cheat at every game you ever play? Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> your brother would raise his hand too. Um, okay, so even worse than that is your sibling gets older and realizes, you know, if I cheat, I'm going to get in trouble. Um, anybody have a sibling who, who will f sit down and figure out the rules of whatever game you're playing so in-depth that they know all the loopholes and all the gray areas so that, you know, they can find their way to wiggle into something that may not be technically cheating, but it's kind of dirty? Yeah? So anybody in here that person? Yeah, Manny knows. Whirly, raise your hand. Here's an example. You know, wh when I was a kid, there was no such thing as internet video games. Um, maybe there was, but they were only for, like, really niche, rich people who owned computers that connected to the internet. But, man, when you wanted to play a game with somebody, you would sit down on a system, and you would each have a controller, and it would actually, like, cut your TV in half. And you'd both be playing on the same TV, and we would do that with, like, four different people on the same TV. So when we were playing a game like Halo which came out a long time ago when I think about it. Uh, the whole goal is to just run around, find each other, and then kill each other. But we're all doing it on the same TV with these different screens. And one thing you could do that would really make a bunch of people mad is instead of only paying attention to your little section of the screen, you just start looking at theirs and see where they're going. Yeah, we called them screen watchers, screen peekers. Like, I mean, come on, man. There's no rule about that in Halo. But that's dirty. It's like when people play Fortnite now, they're like watching Ninja play Fortnite on one screen, and then they're playing Fortnite over here trying to find him based on them watching it. Like, it still goes on. People are still dirty like that. But you know, my sister was the worst offender of this. I couldn't play video games with her. 
without getting frustrated. Um, but, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing uh, that I mean when I say that modern Christians uh, frequently treat their relationship with God like a game. You know, we all have the capability of knowing what the rules to Christianity are. We all have the Bible. We can all go and see what God says. But, you know, a lot of Christians don't even bother to learn what those rules are. You know, maybe they learn them and they try to break them. They, they just try to cheat. Or maybe they try to find their way into a gray area and then just live there because they can get away with it. Um, but man, we're going to study this passage in Revelation 3 because I don't want us to treat our relationship with God like it's a game. I don't want us to fit well into this picture that this passage in Revelation 3 talking about the layout of sands paints for us as modern Christians. Um, and so, because the modern carnal Christians mentioned in this passage are treating Christianity like a game, um, I thought we could look at the passage, at what this passage describes to us as though it were a game. Um, so, the first thing that every game has, um, your study sheet's all messed up. It's <laughs> it says Roman numeral one, the. Um, it's, it's supposed to be the with a big blank after it, but there's no blank there. It's the players. Um, because every game has players, right? Because if it's not, then it's, if it doesn't have players, then it's not a game. It's something else. The first player is obviously Jesus. So Jesus isn't actually named here in this passage. We don't see his name, but verse 14 uh, calls him three things to let us know it's Jesus. Revelation 3.14 says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So, somebody's referred to as the beginning of the creation of God. And if we look at John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Word has a capital W. That's important. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this capital W, Word of God, is Jesus. Because if you go down to John 1, 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Jesus is God in human flesh. He's the only begotten of the Father. Uh, we get that from John 3.16. So the guy we're talking about here in Revelation 3 who's talking to this church is Jesus. Um, and another thing that Revelation 3.14 calls him is the amen. What does the word amen mean? Hmm? What's the word amen mean, Manny? Kind of, yeah. It, 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 it's It's... When we pray, we typically end our prayers with the word amen. And why do we do that? It's because the word means, you know, it's, it's firm, it's finished, it's stable, we agree, it's truth. So we say amen after we pray because we're finished and we know that God heard our prayers and that he will answer them however he sees fit. So Jesus is the amen because he is that firm, stable, and finished truth. John fourteen six, Jesus saith, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus is the truth. And that makes sense because Revelation 3.14 also calls him the faithful and true witness. So we just saw that he's the truth, but remember John 14.6 also says he's the way and the life. Uh, because we were all born separated from God because of our sins. Romans 3.23 says for the wage er, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of that sin is death, meaning we're eternally doomed to being separated from God forever. 
And even though the world tells us we have to do good works in order to get right with God, the Bible is clear that none of our works could ever get us to Christ. Galatians 2.21 tells us that if we, be, if we could become righteous by the law or by doing good things, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die for us. But praise the Lord that he did die for us, even though we were still sinners. You know, Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus paid the sacrifice for our sins so that we can have eternal life with him, according to Romans 6.23. And so only Jesus can save you and restore your relationship with God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That's why he's the faithful and true witness, because Jesus and the Bible are our only sources of truth. And that's why, you know, when, when I get up here, when Kale gets up here, when Josh gets up here and talk, man, we don't want to just give you advice or give you our opinions. Uh, we talk about the Bible because Jesus Christ is that faithful and true witness, and he gave us the Bible to know him by. So that's, that's Jesus. He's the main player, and he's kind of running the show. You know, he's, he's the dungeon master. He's the bank in Monopoly. He's, he's in charge. He's the one who's keeping things moving. Um, but the second group of players, I guess, is the Laodiceans. Um, hopefully that's a blank so you don't have to know how to spell it. Um, that's not Laotians. Laodiceans is different. So remember, the Laodiceans were this literal, these literal church members of a literal church in the first century, but we know that they also picture modern-day Christians who are living in our world today. Uh, to be clear, you know, these are saved Christian people. Um, these aren't lost people. They're members of a church, uh, s but they clearly have some problems, and we'll get into that. But we can actually learn a lot from them about, a lot about them from their name. Um, I'm no, I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't know Greek or Hebrew to save my life, but um, if you look up the word Laodicea in like a dictionary, it, it is a Greek word. It's a compound word that means rights of the people. Um, and so what these people are going to primarily be concerned with is their own rights. Um, and man, that sounds so familiar in our world today because people are so concerned with my rights. You know, you can't do that. It's against my rights. You're infringing on my rights. Now, don't think I'm saying something I'm not. Um, clearly, you know, I think we can all agree that humans have, have certain basic rights, you know, the right to life, the right to liberty, the right to own property, stuff like that. And, you know, in an ideal world, governments exist to protect those rights um, of ours. Uh, so having rights isn't the problem, but the problem is when we get caught up, we get so caught up in our own rights that we forget that as Christians, we gave our rights away. We gave them to Jesus. Um, if you look in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, say, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So Jesus paid for our lives with his own. He paid for, excuse me, he paid for us with his own blood. So when it comes to Jesus, man, we owe him everything. We're not entitled to anything from Jesus. But problems happen when we as Christians forget that and start thinking that we can do what we want, when we want, and how we want, because, man, we have freedom in Christ. That's the beauty of it. But, man, we can't let that go to our heads and thinking that, you know, our lives are all about us anymore. On the contrary, you know, Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So we're supposed to be a living sacrifice to God every day. And doing that doesn't just make you like some super Christian or anything like that. You know, the, the problem with, with us in our world today is when we see somebody really living for God, we're like, man, that guy, 
he's really close to God. He's doing something special. Uh, but man, he's not. He's just doing what's expected of him. It's his reasonable service. And it should be ours too. So that's kind of, you know, the two players, Jesus and the Laodiceans, and kind of how they relate to each other. Because Jesus, you know, offered himself for the Laodiceans, and they gave their lives to him, but they're kind of they're kind of taking it back. They're kind of saying, no, I, I, I want to do things my own way. Um, so now that we understand that, let's look at number two. Is there a blank on number two this time? Okay, good. It's the rules. Um, and we can see those rules laid out in a really basic form here in Revelation 3, 15 and 16. It says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And the issue here is that God doesn't want us to be lukewarm. Um, obviously, he's not talking about the temperature that you get when you take your ter- temperature with a thermometer. So what does it mean to be lukewarm? Because this is where most Christians today try to be. They try to be somewhere in the middle. They try to be balanced. They don't want to go all in for God. Um, they, they want to have one foot in the world. They want to have the other foot in Christianity and have the best of both worlds, like Miley Cyrus used to say. They try to go to church and be godly, but they're not really willing to let go of their favorite little sins. Uh, they just want to hold on to them just a, just a little bit. You know, they don't want to go all into the world. They don't want to give their lives over to their sin, but man, they're not willing to go all in for God either. Um, so they, they try to walk this middle line, and that's not in accordance with what the rules that God has for us. Because according to John fifteen nineteen, we are not of the world. In fact, the world hates us. Uh, John fifteen eighteen says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Uh, and Jesus continues in verse 19, he says, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So because we're not ev- of the world, man, we're not even allowed to dabble in it. We're not, in fact, I don't even know why we, we, we would want to dabble in it. First uh, John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That was a camp verse. Hopefully most of you remember that. Um, because James 4.4 4 says that being a friend with the world is enmity with God. Um, now, enmity is kind of a weird word because it looks like enemy, but really enmity is having the quality of being the enemy. So if you're a friend of the world, then you have the quality of being the enemy of God. Because as saved people, we can't be God's enemy. We're, we're secure in, in our relationship with God. We can't uh, ever lose that. We can't be his enemy. But man, we can have enmity with God, which means that we act and seem like we're God's enemies. Anybody want that? course we don't we don't want that so why do we struggle with this so much why do we try to buddy up with the world so much you know well god i don't love the world i want to spend you know time with it on mondays fridays and saturdays you know i'll give you wednesdays and sundays and every other tuesday but you know those other days those those are for me um man that's not okay that's that's against the rules because the bible tells us we can't remain between two opinions um in first kings 18 really cool story that we can't get into, but Israel was trying to serve both Jehovah God, the real God, and then a fake God with a little g called Baal. Um, and they were, they were trying to do this thing where they would 
hang out with God for part of the time and hang out with Baal the other part of the time. They'd make their sacrifices to the real God and then their fake sacrifices to Baal. Um, and we get to 1 Kings 18, 21, a guy named Elijah, he was a prophet of God. He said, or he came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. So he's saying, look guys, pick one. You know what's right. Pick the one you want and stick with it. Quit doing this back and forth thing because the next thing I have on your sheet is we need to be hot or cold. Um, Matthew 6.24, along the lines of what we saw in 1 Kings 18, says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Um, so mammon is just like an older word that means money. Um, but the principle applies to all things in our life that we could give our lives to. We could spend all our time and effort just trying to earn more money so that we could be you know, more comfortable, so we could have nicer things. We could spend all our time and effort trying to entertain ourselves and spending all our money on our own entertainment just to get more laughs and happiness. Um, man, those entertainment's not like a bad thing. Having things isn't a bad thing. Uh, you know, y we could be spending all our time and effort trying to sin, and that's wrong on every level. But we can't allow ourselves to serve things that aren't God, even if those aren't bad things. That's not allowed. That's against the rules because Jesus bought us with a price. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, man, he sacrificed his own life so he could give us eternal life. But to get that eternal life, man, we traded our own lives. We gave up our rights. And, you know, I'm saying it like it's this doom and gloom thing, like now we just, okay, God, we'll come do whatever you ask. No, man, we got the better end of the deal here. We traded our dirty, sinful lives and God gave us his fantastic, clean, eternal life that we can use to spend forever with him. Um, man, and he gave it to us for free. We didn't have to do anything. He made it possible for us to make that trade. So we should be wanting to serve him with everything that we are because, man, look at what he's given us. Man, why are we still trying to cling to our own rights? Why are we still trying to do things our own way? Um, when, man, Jesus is clearly better Jesus' way is clearly better. Uh, John 16, says that Jesus has overcome the world. So why do we constantly seem to want to allow it to get a hold of our lives? Uh, we need to choose the Lord, and it's, it's that simple. Joshua 24, 15 um, says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the God's which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in the land in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So man, we can't be doing this back and forth thing where one minute we're wanting to be an awesome Christian and the other minute we're wanting to party on the weekends or we're wanting to uh, get into stuff that we shouldn't be getting into or we're wanting to you know, be prideful and vain and stuff like that. Man, we need to make a choice. Am I going to follow God or am I going to follow something else? Am I going to follow God or am I going to do what the world wants me to do? Am I going to live for God or am I going to dabble around with that one sin that I really don't want to let go of? Um, man, if we don't make that choice and we try to do both, then we're treating our relationship with God like it's a game. We're not taking it seriously. Um, you know, it, uh, some of the thoughts, you know, when you're, when you're in that mindset are, you know, I'm going to go to church and youth group every week, but I'm also going to hang out with people I shouldn't be hanging out with on the weekend. Or, you know, I'm going to serve on an impact team, but I'm going to be 
you know, vain and prideful about how I live my life on the internet, or I'm going to go through burn, but I'm not really going to talk about my problem with pornography. Um, man, that's playing, a, that's playing a game. That's being lukewarm. That's what lukewarm is talking about. You're sneaking around, trying to have the best of both worlds. We're trying to just do enough to look like we're getting by, but we're not actually sacrificing anything for God. We're not being that living sacrifice. And you know, the thing is, when we try to do that, we might fool everybody else, but we're not fooling God because God knows, and we need to be hot or cold. And obviously hot is preferable. You don't want to be so cold and so against what God has for your life. Man, you want to go all in for God. That's the obvious choice, but we have to make that choice. Because when we play these games, man, God wants to spew us out of his mouth. Revelation 3.16 again says, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know, think of it like coffee. Anybody drink coffee? You like your coffee hot or cold? Hot? Anybody drink coffee cold, like on ice? Yeah. Anybody like to make hot coffee and then leave it sit out for like four hours and then drink it? No, it's no, you don't. It's disgusting. You do not drink lukewarm coffee. That's not a real thing people do. All right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna watch this. We're gonna make coffee and she's gonna drink it lukewarm. It's gonna be great. I'm kidding. You don't have to do that. But it's gross. Is my point. Some people may think it's good. God doesn't. <laughs> but when I hear the word spew, you know, I think of like the classic spit take in every black and white movie where like the guy's drinking water and someone comes in and says, oh no, the garbage disposal's on fire. And he goes, what? That's what I think of when I think of spew. Um, that's funny, but that's not what the Bible talks about when it says spew. Um, we don't have to look at Jeremiah twenty-five, twenty-seven, but the Bible connects the word spew with what you do after you drink way too much alcohol. What do people do after they drink way too much alcohol? They spew all over the place, whatever they ate that day, and it's gross. Um, so man, that's what God thinks whenever we're being lukewarm. That's what our behavior when we're being lukewarm makes him want to do. Um, and that's gross. And it's interesting because if you look throughout scripture, um, at the times when something comes from God's mouth, this is the only time that something bad can potentially come from God's mouth. You know, his words come out of his mouth, his commands, the breath of life. The only time that something bad can potentially come out of God's mouth is right here in Revelation 3. And it's weird that that thing can potentially be us. You know, I don't really know what the significance of that is, but something to think about. Um, man, we don't want to give God that feeling. We don't want to make God want to vomit. So how do we avoid being lukewarm, I guess is the question. Um, the next thing that should be on your sheet is our temperature is demonstrated by our works. Because obviously being lukewarm is a heart problem. Um, lukewarmness is a problem with your attitude. Um, but that attitude and that heart problem is demonstrated by our works. Um, you know, remember, our works have nothing to do with our salvations. Ephesians 2.8, you know, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Um, it's, it's not of works. But faith without proper godly works is dead, according to James 2.18, which says, Yea, a man may say that thou hast faith, or thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Um, so, our works demonstrate our faith. So if we're not really serious about our faith, 
our works aren't going to show that. And if we are serious about our faith, people are going to notice that because of what we're doing. Our outward physical actions just show what our inward spiritual attitude is. So if you really want to be on fire for God, if that's what you really want on the inside, if you don't want to be that lukewarm Christian, if you want to be done playing games, you already know what to do. Because John 14, 15 says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. So just do what God's word tells you to do. Uh, James 1.22 tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And it's really that simple. If you want to stop playing games, then get out your rule book, your Bible, and, and start following what it says. Because the Bible has the answer for everything in your life. And if we do what it says, we're not being lukewarm. We're giving ourselves over to God. We're giving control of our life to what he tells us to do in the Bible. And we're living our lives according to him. That's being hot. That's not being lukewarm. And please don't, <laughs> I, ju I just want to say this, please don't think that I'm saying like there's a set of rules somewhere that are magical that we have to follow um, or else you're not going to be saved anymore or else God's going to make lightning strike you. Um, that's not the case. You know, like I, I said earlier, our salvation that God offered us that gift, man, if we decide to take that gift, that's eternal. That lasts forever. Um, it's not dependent on our works. We're not dependent on our works to get saved, and we're not dependent on our works to stay saved. Um, but our works do have lasting consequences beyond this life um, if we're saved. So that's what I wanted to get to in point three, the goal and the rewards. So every game has a goal, right? It has an objective that you're trying to accomplish, and every game has a reward for completing that goal. Usually, you complete the goal first, you win, that's the reward, and then you get to brag about it until the next time you play that game. But anytime you're playing a game, the first thing you need to know, other than the rules, is what the goal is. And if you don't know what the goal is, you're not going to know what you should be trying to do when you're playing that game. And modern Christians, like the ones here in Revelation 3, think they know what their goal is, but they actually don't, and we'll see that. Uh, Revelation 3 Verse 17 says, But thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest that thou art wretched, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, so that the shame of thy nakedness doth not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. So they think they have everything figured out. They think they have it made, but they don't. Their priorities are messed up because they don't know what their goal is. Um, so in the Bible, there's two sets of goals. There's two sets of things we should be striving for. One of them is the right set of goals, and the other one is the wrong set of goals. First um, Corinthians 3 um, illustrates this, talking about a building a building. First uh, Corinthians 3, starting verse 11, says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the one who lays the foundation. He's the one who paved the way for us to get saved and have a relationship with God. And now we're building on top of that. In verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So there's, there's two sets of goals here, and by that I mean two sets of things we can be trying to accomplish. Um, but one day, those works are going to be tested uh, in fire. 
and we're not talking about hellfire or anything like that. This isn't judgment for your sin. It's judgment of what you did with what God gave you. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ, something that every Christian will go through. And some of those works that we do in this life will last into eternity, and others are going to burn up and disappear forever. So the first thing, the first set of things that we could be focused on is eternal things. Now, these are the gold, silver, and precious stones type stuff that we saw in 1 Corinthians 3. These are the things that we should be trying to accomplish because these will result in things that last forever. Um, things like the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father of, and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So, man, if there's one place in the Bible to find what we should be focused on, that's where you get it. We need to be getting the word of God to the world so that they can respond to him. That's what our goal is. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And we can do that in two basic ways. And the first one I have on your sheet is evangelism. Uh, Mark 16, 15 just says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So let's ask ourselves, man, is that something that we do? Is that something that I do? You know, some people are going to be better at giving the gospel to other people. Uh, but we're all called to do it. You know, when I was in high school, man, I was afraid to share the gospel. Um, man, ask yourself, are, are you too afraid to do it? Because what are the goals in your life? Because if, you've, if you're saved, man, you should be focused on seeing other people get saved, and that only happens if we share the gospel with them. The gospel doesn't fall out of the sky and hit people in the head and they make good decisions because of it. No, we help people understand who Jesus is and what he wants for their life. So man, ask yourself, are you serious about seeing other people coming to Christ? Because if not, man, you're kind of just playing a game. The second thing that we can do is discipleship. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now, discipleship is like a two-way street. You have to be willing to learn from and be led by somebody who's more experienced um, in the word of God and in their Christian walk with you. But you also have to be willing to teach and guide somebody who's less experienced than you. Now, again, some of us will be better at it than others, but it's something that we all have to do. So ask yourself, are you at a point in your life where you need to be taught by somebody more experienced than you? I'll give you a hint. The answer is yes. Everybody is. We all have to continue growing until we eventually die and meet Jesus. But until then, man, we have to be focused on growing in our relationship with God. And so if you do something like, like burn or adult discipleship or you take classes like ministry tools and training, man, that involves a commitment on your part to grow and to learn and to get closer with God. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to make that sacrifice in order to increase your ability to minister to other people? Because if you're not, then why are you even bothering to minister to other people? You're, you're not taking that role seriously. You're kind of just playing a game. And on the flip side, you've got to ask yourself, are you at the point in your life where you're able to teach or to guide somebody who's less experienced than you? And again, I'll give you a hint. The answer is yes, because that's something that we all have to do throughout our entire lives. There will always be somebody that God puts in your life to help you, but there will also always be somebody in your life that God puts there for you to help. Um, so are you willing to put the time and energy into helping other Christians grow and mature so that they're better able to reach out to others? Because that's how, 
that's in the grand scheme of things, man. That's the design that God had for it, that if we invest in each other, there will be more people who are able to reach out to others. And so if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to put in that effort into other people, in other people's lives, then you're not taking that responsibility seriously. We're, we're just playing a game at that point. So we need to be focused on accomplishing these eternal things, which can really only be done through evangelism and discipleship, because the only thing that lasts into eternity is our souls and the souls of lost people. And so those lost people will be separated from God forever unless we get up and do something. So do you think that you're focused on eternal things or are you focused more on number two, temporary things? And if I had to define temporary things quickly, man, I'd just call it everything, pretty much everything else other than evangelism and discipleship. Um, You know, Ecclesiastes chapter two has a whole list of things that just are vain and won't last. Um, You know, we don't need to read the whole thing, but it includes stuff like pleasure and laughter, great works, so stuff like your career, Houses, gardens, orchards, servants, possessions, silver and gold, so money. You know, none of those things are are bad, sinful things. But they're things that we shouldn't allow ourselves to be focused on. They're things that shouldn't drive our lives. Because this is what Christians that were described in Revelation 3 are focused on, man. It says that they're rich and increased with goods. They have everything they think that they could possibly need. Sounds kind of like Christianity in America to me. But man, God says that they have nothing and they don't even know it. He says they're poor and miserable and wretched and blind and naked because none of the stuff that they do have is going to last past the judgment seat of Christ. None of it's going to last into eternity. It's all going to be burned up and disappear. So let, let's ask ourselves, you know, what, what is my life focused on? What am I prioritizing? How can I even tell that? Well, that's easy because we already looked at, you know, how your outward physical actions just demonstrate what's on your, your, the inside spiritually. So take a look at what you spend your time and money on. Are you spending time growing and learning the Bible so you can teach others what you learn? Are you making yourself vulnerable by sharing the gospel with your lost friends? Because if you're not doing those things, it's going to be really hard for you to make a case uh, that you're actually focused on the right things and you have biblical priorities. Because, like I said from James 2 earlier, man, our outward physical works just demonstrate what's going on inside of us. So what do your works say about you? What do your works indicate that you're focused on? What do they indicate you're passionate about? What do they indicate you care, you care about? Because sadly, most Christians' works today indicate that they're only focused on temporary things. They have the wrong goals. Um, a lot of them even come to church just because of what it gets them. It gets them, you know, respect in the community, or it gets them networking opportunities to to make business partners with other friends um, or with other church members. Man, that's not what we should be focused on. And the thing is, like, modern Christians, they think that they have life figured out, but there's going to come a day when they realize they're wrong. Um, And Revelation 3, verse 19 says, And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So even though we're saved, man, God will still rebuke and chasten us. He's still with us. He's still at the door knocking. But those temporary things aren't going to last into eternity. That wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned. And in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 15 says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. So rather than being rewarded, he's going to suffer loss. 
you know, it goes on, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So obviously we're not talking about salvation. But if we invest our time and energy into those eternal things, God has rewards waiting for us. Uh, the verse right before that, 1 Corinthians 3.14 says, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So if you spent your life focusing on those eternal things, man, if you helped your friends come to know Jesus, that's going to last into eternity. And God has rewards for you because of that. So let's go back one more time to Revelation 3. And we're going to wrap up here. Um, but Revelation 3, verse 21 says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So this verse is talking about overcoming. There's a special reward for people who overcome all these negative traits that we've been talking about, for people who overcome the world and don't be lukewarm with their lives. There's a special reward for people who don't live according to what is considered normal um, in their time. And right now in our time, man, lukewarm is the status quo. So what do you want to do? Do you want to overcome that? Or do you want to just sneak under the radar and, and, and follow those temporary things for your whole life? Or do you want to make a difference in eternity? Do you want to live for now and enjoy what this world and this life has to offer? Or would you rather live for eternity? Sacrifice some now as an investment. But man, enjoy what eternity has to offer to the fullest when we get there. I think the answer is simple. Obviously, eternity is a lot longer than these lives. You know, the Bible calls this life just a vapor. So, you know, like, it's just gone. Before we know it, it'll be gone, and it'll be history, and we can never come back and fix what we didn't do right now. So, man, let's do right now. Let's, let's not be lukewarm. Let's be on fire for God. Let's see people get saved. Let's invest in other people so that we can reach the world and make a difference in eternity. And that's really the whole point of what we were talking about was most people aren't doing that nowadays. So if we're not going to, who will? So man, let's do that. Let's give everything we have to God and just follow him because man, he gave everything he has to us so that we could live forever with him. Man, we got to share that with people. So let's pray. We can finish up. God, I thank you so much uh, just for the opportunity to, to dig through your word and see what it says about our lives. And man, I pray that we would apply your word to our life each and every day. And God, I just ask that you would give us the strength and the courage to do the things that we know to do. Uh, because at the end of the day, what you ask of us, it's not difficult to understand. It's, it's simple. It's clear. It's just difficult to do. And God, I pray that you would just give us the strength and the courage to, to be passionate about the things you're passionate about and to give ourselves to the things you gave yourself for. And Man, let's see other people come to Christ. Let's see a difference in eternity made because of us. We love you, Lord. Amen.